0: Hey Neil, how you doing, man? Good, Joe. How are you? I'm doing good. It's been a while since I saw you. You know, know. last were at baronies eating that- hardly bad Italian food.
1: Woo! Hard- Very bad Italian food. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's some yeah. bad food there. Well, you
0: know that's the thing. You know, my friend Rick, and not to bash the restaurant, but yeah. but my friend Rick puts on those guitar geek things. Well, it's been like about a year and a half, yeah, and. And I always eat somewhere else before. And yes. we both have vowels at the end of our names. Of course. From the East coast and know what the real stuff tastes like vis-a-vis what we are served there.
1: Understood. Yeah, Rick Gold, is he's the photographer guy, right? Is He's the one that puts those on, yeah?
0: Yeah, and you know, I mean, those things have been going on for 10 years or more. Oh. I, 15 years of it it started at vitello's in southern california it's like uh and we stopped we stopped going there after the robert blake situation oh and, that's
1: right that's
0: right which was single-handedly the greatest hollywood alibi ever achieved by a star or an actor going I didn't shoot her because I left my gun behind. I was going to, but I didn't. I Somebody
1: know. Did. <laughs> uh, only, only an Italian restaurant. That's why we get bashed so much, you know. That's um, right.
0: Wait. So, you know, it's like, you know, I grew up in Utica, New York. You grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Italian families. Yeah. It's, it's, I always tell people it's very similar. It's a two-family home. The windows fog up on Sundays because the pasta water's on for an hour before, you know. You know, but you know, one of the things, know as I was reading, uh, you know, about your beginnings, it's like, you know, a very musical household, kind of like how I grew up. It was just music was there, whether it be, you know, traditional music or rock and roll, piano, accordion. You know, who who was the host who got you started in music?
1: Well, the instigator was my father. First of all, he was the instigator because he wanted me to play the Italian songs. So my sister who played accordion. The only problem was, was, I'm so tuned in the rhythm and tempo that every time my sister would play the accordion, it kind of freaked me out because it was out of time. Right. You know, right. so it was like kind of freaking me out. But, but we did play, you know, back to Sorrento, you know, Santo Lucio and all that stuff. So, but what happened is my uncle Timmy he was only four years older than me, and he came to live with our family because my uh, Grandpa James passed away so he didn't have a father right so he came to essentially live at our house now being only right. four years older he's like a brother right and he's a crazy brother and he turned me on to uh, you know the yard birds the kinks you know it all started with the you know the British invasion but but prior to that though um, how old are you now Joe I'm 44, I'll be 45 in May of next year. Okay, so 40. let's say 45 years old. Okay, so I'm 65, 20 years older. So when we would go to the Five and Dime to Woolworths, my mother would say, you get $1 to get anything you wanted. So I would pick records and they used to come cellophane. Now this is what I found out later. They were cutouts, but I I never knew that back yeah. then you know they maybe have a hole in them or something i didn't know they, right. they weren't supposed to sell them but they wrapped them in cellophane so when i brought those home and i listened to them i put them on a the turntable i just flip them over i, I was listening to people listening and trying to figure out what they were playing and i had no idea who they were i mean it was right. chuck berry john Lee hooker bull moose jackson all these people you know had no idea nothing at all
0: you know it it was the same for me because it was it was my father every Saturday would play a different record and it would be everything from like Guitar Slim and Muddy Waters wow. to Jethro Tull Thick as a Brick in its entirety, both sides. And you're like, which was, you know, for a seven and eight year old, that's a big listen. You know, yeah. it's like, cool. And, yeah. you know, Clapton got me first. I mean, I was like, it was it was John Mayall and the Blues Breakers. It was Cream. It was early solo stuff. But you know one of the things about it, it it's like the discovery of records when we are young. You know, you know, like you go to Camelot Music, and you got. I, I I didn't realize until I was seven years old that your first communion was really your first cash, big cash payday yeah, it in an Italian house.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I got like
0: two hundred and fifty bucks from wow. all the kids oh. and the, I was killing it. Nineteen eighty-two, you know, <laughs> and. So I was allowed to spend ten or twenty dollars of this stipend, you know. I bought a copy of BB King Live at the Regal, and I bought Steve Morris the Introduction record because he had a cool Telecaster. And that was that. That was the beginning. And it was like totally a host, you know, like moment where you're going, "I'm hooked," you know. It's like, when did you know the guitar was like, okay, I can't live without doing this?
1: Well, what happened with the with the Sicilian? Uh experiment my father and parents wanted me to have by playing the Italian songs. I really didn't want to, I didn't really want to play it. It didn't quite get me yet, right? I mean, I, you know, the strings were really high and it was acoustic guitar and it was really tough to play and I took lessons for a short time and and the guy would sit in this room and he smoked cigarettes, drank coffee and farted all the time and it was this terrible little room and I, I hated every minute of it, right? So so I wasn't a big fan of that, but music hit me when I was five years old, five or six years old. I My mother had a hi-fi system mm-hmm. and in the house, and she would play records, and she was a really big fan of uh, Elvis Presley. So I would listen to Heartbreak Hotel, and I was the guy walking down Lonely Street. I was going to Heartbreak Hotel, and I heard the bass, and I heard Elvis's voice, and the reverb, and the throw. So early on, I was... I was more attentive to songs in production than I was of playing, so to right. speak. So it only happened about, oh, maybe by the time I was eight or nine, I had another family member. My cousin Skeeter came over to the house before he was going to Nam, And uh, I was like nine or ten. I can't remember who exactly it was. But he had a red Strat. And instead of playing in the first position, he was all over this thing. Right. And uh, I'm going, man, I want to do that. That, that sounds like fun. Now I'm trying to figure out these songs with these 45s, but I'm all in the first position. I'm clunking around and all this stuff, right? So I remember him sitting in my living room and he showed me to get to them. My mother comes to him and she goes, you cannot listen by ear. You learn by ear. You have to learn the notes. You have to learn to read. And I was going, oh, no, I, I don't want to do no reading. So it, right. it kind of happened then. And then, you know, the Yardbirds, the Kinks, you know, it all started in the British invasion all those great players uh, that I, I was, I was hooked. I'd say by the time I was eight or nine, I was, I was in, I was in. Deep.
0: You know, that, that, you know, that was to me too. It was like when I heard the Jeff Beck group from the first time, I was like, I was like, this is the kind of blues I want to be involved with. You know, it was angry and it was, yeah. it was cool. like kind of on fire and it was, you know, more rock and roll, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things, you know, I've always loved about your playing and always noticed right off the bat was you know being in a rock and roll band your whole life in a rock and roll situation correct your sound is very clean mm-hmm. and it's and it's you know a it's tough way tougher to play clean because it, it, it showcases all the good stuff that, that you do and all the bad stuff that happens okay. and but you know to me it made all those songs that you did with Pat Benatar and and, and Rick Springfield and all the stuff that you produced that you played on it to me made it more it definitely separated itself from what everything else was on the radio and you could also just notice like wow this is like you can hear the strat you can hear the BC Rich you can hear when you would would, you know how did you develop your, your, your tone after you like committed to being an electric guitar
1: player Right. Um, well, it's, it's an odd thing, because truthfully, I can't play with a, a large uh, distorted sound. I just can't. And I think what happens is, and I like heavy strings, so I think what happens is when I'm attacking the instrument, Now you remember, you, you, you mentioned Jeff Beck, who really yeah. attacks the instrument. Yeah. He's uh, it was a huge influence, you know, with the yardbirds. I mean, he really sounds like he's fighting that thing and the thing is fighting back. I right. loved that, loved, right. loved, loved that, right? So I found out that, um, I have a lot of low end in my head. actually, Timmy Pierce was the one that told me because he wanted to use my rig when I produced the John Waite record, right. and he was playing guitar, right? So he goes, I, he goes, what do you put your settings on? I go, I, I keep bass real low, and I just do this. And, and he goes, you know why you do that? Because you have a lot of low end in your hands. I, I never even realized that. Right. But that goes to what I'm going to explain to you. So when I play, and I love to play clean, is I use a lot of left hand. I pull off the string with my left hand, and if I don't have a clear sound, I can't hear the articulation. Right. Right. And, and I'm not, I never wanted to be a virtuoso. Joe, you are a virtuoso. You are an amazing, committed, well, phenomenal no, no, phenomenal guitar player. You are married to that instrument like very few people are. And I admire that about you. your playing. It's it's remarkable. I Thank knew you. I could never get there. And I never really wanted to. I was more so much about of a song and production and other instruments. I never really committed that hard to it. But Guitar, I love, and when I have that clean sound, I can I can pull off those strings with my left hand, and right, and I right. used to use 12s to 59 on the E, 60 to the E, wow. yeah, really heavy strings because I can pull on them, you know. Right. And then they I would stay in Yes, they would stay in and it was like they were full, and I can really chunk them, and it ends up getting an arthritic thumb, though. That's the that's the only problem when you get to be 65, but. It's part of the uh, the curse.
0: Yeah, because like you know, like what I always noticed about your soloing was it, it was an extension of whatever vocal was going on at the time, cool. and it was like it it was like it was like like a great example is hit me with your best shot. It's mm-hmm. like once the solo starts, it's like another hook. Correct. It's not just right. it's not just like well, here's 16 bars where it's time to shred. It, it was like that's a hook in itself. In a song full of hooks, you know, the verses and, you know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a fantastic song. You know, I mean, did you did you consciously, as you were producing the records, did you really like, okay, let's compose something here that makes sense? Or was it something you just like, well, let me see what just happens and, you know.
1: Okay, I, here's what I did uh, and I always do. It's... Um, I considered a song, you know, as you know, you got a three, four minute song, right? When it comes to a solo, I didn't want to have boredom set in. I wanted another melody that somebody can hear in their head, you know, and just be part of it because I didn't want the boredom to come. So what I would try to do is leave off where the last note of the vocal was. And I knew what I, I knew the first couple notes I'd play and I knew the last couple notes I'd play getting right. out of it. But I never knew the inside of it. I would just wing it and just Go for it. A lot of times, I would take the very last note, whatever it is, and I would hit that same note and then carry on from there. Or, as you know, right. a solo is a conversation. So, if the singer's singing, they're asking a question. When it comes to the solo, maybe maybe you're expressing some, you know, smooth or or some uh, anger or whatever it is. You're having a conversation, and uh, and I just would wing it. And and uh, there was one that, that I remember. Uh, the engineer Chris Mantle, he would, he would laugh at, about, and uh, the co-producer Keith Olsen was a precious time. I just told the band, let's do 32 measures, and they go, what are you going to do? I says, I, I have no idea. And I remember, he tells me, Chris tells me the story that I went in there, and I was really having a tough time that day, and really tough. So I came in there, and I had a bottle of, of whiskey with me, and I, I put it down, I says, guys, I only got time for two or three takes and then I'm out of here. I've had, I've just had it. So two or three right. takes, I did it left. And they, and Chris just looked at me when I left and he goes, I, I don't get it. <laughs> it, was right. just, it was just cra- a crazy moment, you know? So.
0: Yeah. It's like, you know, sometimes it's the moments that you don't expect and you just kind of, you're tired and you just throw your hands up. And then it's like you tap into that stream of consciousness that you'd never get there if you were, you know, um, trying to overly think about it you know oh. the, the the thing is what i what i always love about your playing is it, it it's you lead with the song mm-hmm. you know and there are some records we've all listened to them i've made them where it kind of feels it kind of feels like the the protagonist the soloist is just waiting around for that second verse to end before it just goes off into this thing which is very impressive right but it's this—it's just a vehicle for soloing. You 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 start with the song first. I mean, it's Absolutely. like it's like you know. I mean, just tell the folks. I mean, like you know, it's like I know it's the hardest thing in the world to do, but it's it's the work that you need to put in to really become
1: iconic. Well, well, well. Thank you. Um, the the thing about the song, it comes from I think one source see if I can make myself clear on this, is that rhythm to me is the most essential part of a song for me, right? It's critical. Um, I love drums. Most of the musician buddies that I hang out with are all drummers. I, I can play drums, but I got I play one beat. I swing fantastic, but I got one beat. That's it. But it is real good, but (laughs) I can't play straight. If I do straight time, you know, then all of a sudden it switches to that. It's a natural feel, right? So when I play guitar and rhythm stuff, I want to be inside with the drummer. And I use the buddy system uh, for a lot of records uh, with my fantastic, sensational drummer, Myron Grumbacher, who I call Tyrone. Him and I, every time we go in a studio, we did the buddy system if if he made a mistake we do it again if i made a mistake we do it again whole track just that's it and then we and i just try to weave inside i just love rhythm rhythm so so much much more than solos i I just feel so natural to me to do you know i I just love it so that's what i think about the most of anything before i start something
0: just kidding yeah do you do you As a producer do you cut to a click so you can you can cut between takes or do you just
1: kind of let it naturally bob and weave okay some some records i i would do a click because i like to stay on it i mean you know this that if you have a click here you can play on the back side of that beat or the front side of the beat it's how you feel that moment right and then other times i did a record called gravity's rainbow where not only do we not play with a click uh i didn't use a tuner I just wanted to tune by ear, so the whole okay. record I just tune by ear. Whatever we start, I could be an A four forties, three right. and seven eights. Who knows? Right? fine. Yeah, yeah. Who cares, right? It's so fun. Um, so uh, for the most part, it would be a click, but there are other times no, just kind of go in there and fly. Um, the The swing record I did called True Love. That was phenomenal. It was like a 14 day record, which is great with the room full of blues horn section, great drummer, John Rossi, phenomenal piano player, Chucky DeMonico, bass player, uh, no bass player, Chucky DeMonaco, keyboard, Charlie Giordano. We all played in the same room and we just did everything live. This is what and, it and is. A, and a, and, a, and a, a Toto
0: and Joe B band alumnus, Lenny Castro played on that record. Oh, Lenny,
1: <laughs> Lenny's a maniac. He played on a lot of stuff. He played on a lot of stuff. <laughs> I love you. Him. you
0: I was going to ask you about True Love because I saw you guys on The Tonight Show. Yes. A, I believe it was on Jay Leno. When the no, record Johnny was Carson. Johnny, it Carson. Was Johnny Carson. Okay, Johnny Carson. Mm-hmm. And I remember you had like a Black Strat or something. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're and right. a Super Reverb. Yes. And and you were killing it. Like oh. straight into the amp. Yep. And, you know, I, I listened to that record today because I knew we were having this conversation. I was like, man, this, this record is like... It, it, it really is ahead of its time because I did something similar with someone you produced named Beth Hart, Yeah, you know, 25 years later. And I, yeah. was, like, I was like, it was it was blues because it was marketed as a Pat Benatar sings the blues. I remember when it came out, it was like you guys had done a blues record. Right. But it was really like a hybrid swing. Correct. You know, kind of a, a throwback to the timeless 50s you mm-hmm. know Billy Holiday blues cabaret and jump blues yeah, yeah. Jump blues. Uh-huh. and it was just i think it was so ahead of its time because nobody had done anything like that in so long you know with great songs you know and it was like leading with the songs i mean like i love I, the, the title track is killer you played great on that it's one of my favorites Thank
1: Thank and you. i remember
0: seeing you guys on Carson and i was like Correct. that's what i want to do give me well, a let super me tell re- you so-
1: <laughs> Hey, let me tell you something funny about that too. Yeah, the super. I, I recorded with the I recorded with an amp that you have so many of them that you're such a nice guy and you like me so much that you're gonna sell one of them to me. And you know oh, what I that am. is. A Fender Reverb. The Fender oh, Twin. Reverb? Twin. The twin. The Fender Twin. Oh, they're
0: great. I was gonna ask that. That was that was my question. I have it on my notes. I'll prove it to you. Pat Benatar, Not a twin please, reverb, not- but the Fender just- Twin. On the notes, it says super reverb or twin. So you just confirm yes. my. Yes. You can't twin. be a twin reverb.
1: No, but th- this was, you know, the twin. You, you know which one I'm talking about. Not the reverb one, but the twin. You oh, know, the yeah. super power.
0: The tweed one or the yellow one?
1: The tweed one.
0: Oh, th- those are good. I'll yeah. sell you one. <laughs>
1: yeah those are really good I sold mine to Keith Richards I I don't know why I did it it didn't have its original shell to it and it, you know they were looking around and I said eh, you know I'm not going to use this that much I should have never done it
0: <laughs> you know they're they're so loud they can only they only do yep. certain things correct you know, loud c- scenario yep but there's no better than that 58 to 60 high power twin It just oh, I love you know, everything
1: everything and so clean and beautiful yeah. But let me tell you this: the the story with the Johnny Carson thing was funny because uh, we were the only act ever to play three songs on the Johnny Carson or the Tonight Show. So what happened was Chucky De Monaco, our bass player, uh, right. a great character, phenomenal. You know, he played on Jaws. Rah, 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 he did on My Little right. Mermaid. Chet Chet Baker, everybody, right? So I told him we were going to play on the Johnny Carson show, and I want to use the Doc Severinsen's band, and he goes. Right. That's ridiculous. It's never gonna work. It's a horrible idea. I, I'll do it, but I think you're, you know, I, you're crazy and all this. I go, no, let's give me to go. So he walks into the show. We walk in. He walks in. As soon as he walks in, all the guys are there. Chucky, nice to see you, Great. He goes, this is so fun. And he 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 tells, he talks, he tells Doc. He goes, I know this is a great idea. I've been looking forward to doing this for a long time. Son of a bitch, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you're torturing me. So, um, yeah, we did three songs. Johnny loved, loved the band, you know.
0: You know, it was – you know, Johnny loved you guys and Johnny loved the Allman Brothers because that was the only two times that I'd ever seen, like, it was the Allman Brothers, Albert Collins, and you guys actually would marry the bands. You oh, know? wow. That's interesting. And, <laughs> you, know, you know, the thing about I, – I was – I was actually booked to be on Johnny Carson when I was a kid. Here's some news for you, yeah. super fans. And I got bumped because he announced his retirement.
1: Oh no! <laughs> and I was supposed
0: to guest with the band, but as when he announced his retirement, it was such a flood of people who wanted to be on the show sure. that it was just like, oh, this little 13 year old kid, he, he he can go on somewhere else. But oh, you know cool. yeah. Well, phenom yeah. you are man even the fact that you know like to to have been on carson have been the only you know act to do three songs i yeah. mean it's a, that's a testament to how much he loved you guys
1: you yeah know? he really did it was very cool because we did we were only scheduled to do two and even that was a lot but he says you know take us out with another one you know he was just so so excited and it was it was it was a it was such a it was so much fun and so great to do. And they never done that before. They never used their band with another X band. Right. I mean, I, I put them all together. And people thought I was nuts. Even my manager says, oh my god, you know, you're really getting into this. I says, I, I, this is what I want. And it was so much fun, so much yeah, fun. Yeah, it's like the Wallace
0: sound, you know? It's yeah. Like, it's,
1: you know what you that's know. like.
0: I love it. You know, it's like, you know, I've done two drummers, I've done 12 piece, and there's no, as a guitar player, Woo. there's no better it's like a big old down pillow yes that you just fall back into it's like it's just like oh man this is
1: well you know the roof song. the roofful guys they are whoa those horns i love i love tower of power for their 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 sound yeah. as well tower of power is on this side of that center yeah wow wow way back so when you play with them you can you, it's just like you said you fall into a beautiful pillow and just live there you know who was your who was your blues guy because on that
0: record especially i hear like Elmore not Elmore james but t-bone a lot of t-bone walker i hear the the classic strat wielding Wee creightons of the world i mean who who was your who was your like number 1 blues player that was kind of like your influence.
1: It was T-Bone but it was guitar slim as well. Uh you right. know, you may not you may not hear it in there but you know that attitude that he always had with that. Um you know, I, I didn't I I I love B.B. King. Uh you know, yeah. in fact, he loved the record too. He, he he remember he did a radio an interview one time he says two people he can think of that did a song that he did that he loves only two people one was little johnny taylor and the other one was us and 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 b is cool he always picks down he never picks up right he's always picking down like this so i i didn't i didn't really want to kind of in i didn't want to engage in that because you know i'm not going to get there so i don't want to be one of those guys that tries to emulate that i'm not going to go so it was more like t-bone i i love you know we even did uh, the song "Evening" on there that that he did right. a great version of, obviously. And we um, did pay the
0: cost to be the boss, right? Yeah, on, the I think,
1: yeah, uh, yeah. On the second, I got papers on you too, which was another uh, great BB song that we did. Um, but yeah, those those were the those were the guys.
0: Those it's, it's roomfuls like because being on the East Coast, it was Ronnie Earl with roomful of blues, yeah. it was Duke Roblox, roomful of blues, yeah.
1: Sure.
0: And it was like that was the that was our band because every blues festival you would go to it'd be roomful or some, some version of it, you know, right. you know, maybe two of the horn guys didn't show up or what it, it didn't, it didn't matter. There was always a, it was that East coast. I think there was oh, a, like a guy it. named James Montgomery played harp and
1: you know, all those guys. Duke is, is a great player. So is James Earl. James Earl's more of they you know, that really heavy, but you know, more of that heavy strat kind of, certain sound battle he does a lot of those pulls and duke obviously the big box the t-bone you right. know walker yeah. And stuff. And, yeah
0: i saw duke Robillard at a blues festival in ohio this was 20 years ago we played a gig together and he had like some epiphone archtop and a lab series 410 combo and it sounded just like duke Robillard. Had no, yeah. had no it doesn't it didn't matter it nope. didn't matter doesn't i think happen. um one of the things that uh, i think The viewers really get a kick out of to know and i didn't know this until i was going down the rabbit hole today you were the first guitar player to appear
1: on mtv yeah see i didn't even didn't even realize it really i mean up until 15 years ago or something
0: because it was it it was the I, i think the first video was fab five freddy and uh, Debbie Harry, or what, no, I don't know.
1: It was, uh, it, it was radio kill uh, video killed the radio star.
0: Okay, and then it, it was, was then it was
1: you better run. That's right, because there was no guitar in the in that first in their song. Right. That's exactly right. So yeah,
0: and you know, I mean, like to see to grow up with MTV because I remember it coming up and like you would see you guys on there all the time and be cool guitars and real rock bands and they do live shows. And, you you know, they play one of your videos. and next thing you know, they play Robert Cray or Stevie Correct. Ray Vaughan. And, Correct. And it was like it was so influential to people that were like wanting to get into music because you got to see the glimpse of the visual, not just staring at the record cover while you listen to it. Correct. You know, I mean, you ever I mean, like, I don't know if you ever put the channel on now. It's kind of devolved into like oh, yeah. like my
1: team. It's there's no music. No, it, no it was like a, a, pre, a prequel to youtube essentially because right. you know you can look at youtube now and figure out how to play anything you know when i was growing up trying to figure out hendrix and everybody else and not knowing that maybe it's turned down to e-flat and i'm trying to play something and think oh, how in the hell is this going on it's got there's no more room left on a guitar you know but i can right. see i was helpful one of the things we did do uh, is if it was a performance video or even you better run we actually were playing we weren't recording it but we were actually physically playing you know not you know pretending we actually played so we were playing a song back then too it's like you'd have to play it 20 times or more just because it was so new you know
0: you plug into an amp and you get into the you get into
1: the you
0: get into the the vibe and this yeah um did you have to show rick springfield the solo on jesse's girl when he did the video
1: (laughs) (laughs) no i I didn't
0: I, I'm, I'm almost sure that's you on there. I, oh, it is all the it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it's me. It's um, it's funny because, uh, you know he's he's a great friend and uh, you know I've known his family you know forever and ever, right? And and his children went to the same school as my daughters did. I remember we had a, a little, uh, uh, you know, have those little. Uh, silent auctions and things and he was playing on he did one and I remember I did one as well so he came up to me he goes I I just want to say I'm so sorry you didn't play on the video I said it's cool man it's your your song it's your record or whatever he goes no and he's coming to tears he goes it should have been you it should have been you I I I shouldn't have done that it's it wasn't right I go it's okay (laughs) it's 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 perfectly fine but Joe you'll like this you'll get a kick out of this so Every time if I did a show with uh, Rick and he'd have his guitar player or a different person, write, play, right? Play. Every time it came to one part of that solo, which everybody seems to have a hard time with, actually there's a couple of things they don't do. Right. I would right. turn away. So they'd be watching. They'd look at the to it. And i turn away so they couldn't right. play <laughs> yeah. just to have fun with it.
0: <laughs> yeah. A little trade secrets. Yeah.
1: <laughs> fun stuff. I would
0: tell people like when they, when they overanalyze something I've done, I go, just think about it in terms of being a guitar player chances are it's way easier than you're making it out to be
1: no kidding you know exactly. because it's
0: like you go no it's actually it's all done in one position and you're like oh really i thought it was here here and you're like no, no
1: no no they try to complicate it it's like a golf swing people try to overthink that when everybody has a natural swing but you know what i tell them too as well there's you know what? There's dynamics. If you if you got a bend, and this is the mistake so many players make if they want to try to emulate Albert King, who who is one yeah. of one of the greatest, you know. But oh, the yeah. way he he's bending up, bending down. I mean, there's there's he's pitching stuff all day long. You can try to figure out those notes, but you will never get those bends like he bends. That's the soul. That's coming from the heart. You can't get that. So don't even try. Yeah, right.
0: And, you know, I figured, a friend of mine, uh, Josh and I, we we went down the rabbit hole. And there's always, between Dan Erlewine, who built that walnut guitar for him in the 70s, there's always been the stories of, like, Albert tuned to an open chord. It was, like, open F minor. We figured out, pretty much it was open E minor. Mm -hmm. And because he could get those, I don't know if we can hear it, but he could get those... Those those I don't even know. Have... We, we we run a hi fi show here. Okay, all right, I love it. So he didn't yeah. have to move his hand. Right.
1: Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> and I'm
0: like, oh, okay. That makes sense to
1: me. Instead yeah, especially run, run if you down. don't have to play and you don't have to play chords. So you just kinda just solo and you and that's the way you're doing it.
0: Yeah. yeah and you know i mean that was it you know bb had he could play a few chords but he was it was like he just grabbed the guitar and sang and then he played his lead
1: you know having yeah, a conversation with himself that's it
0: correct how, um one of the things i want to ask you is like how did you get the derringer gig because you toured with derringer pretty much during his
1: heyday when well, he was- i toured i joined the band in 78 or end of 77 um, and and it's, it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting story, and it's something that'll be helpful for your listeners. And you know, yeah. the young people or people that are, you know, want to learn things other than just the idea of being a guitar player, but the thing that's essential to being that player, and that yeah. is, you have to put the time in, and you have to put the effort. So what happened was, I was playing with this lounge band. Of great musicians in Cleveland and the idea was we were able we can do these songs that weren't part of our inner circle but we would play these songs during the night but during the day because we got paid more money to do those clubs we can write our own songs right it was a great idea right and and then we can form our rock band and go right and I was really getting frustrated because I was playing a lot of piano at the time too and I was just thinking well if this isn't going to work out, I was only 21 at the time, but I'm thinking, ah, "If this isn't going to work out, I could just be a cocktail piano player, play standards, I'll get married, have a couple of children." Right. And that's it. Right? So I'm getting desperate, plan, right? Plan B,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, plan B is going. So, I'm playing in his band. Somebody sees me play, and I was I was playing bass and guitar, and they said, "Uh, you know, uh, Dan Hartman's looking for a bass player for his band who was with uh Edgar Winter and White Trash and stuff and 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 then he i says oh oh okay well i'd have to ask my band first if it's okay for me to kind of do an audition he goes and also rick derringer is looking for a guitar player I says well hold, hold on a second wait a minute i'm not a bass player i yeah, i just i'm right. doing this to help out right so right. i'm a guitar player and i play keyboards and he goes well i can set up an interview uh, uh you know to get an audition so i said okay so i talked to the band they said it was okay so i went up I, I I was sitting there. You'll, you'll like this, Joe, because this this is so right up where you're at. Okay, so you're you're nice, really a nice guy, and you're a normal guy, and you look like a normal guy, right? So I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm sitting on a couch. I'm listening to these guys play in the room, and I'm I'm freaking out. I'm thinking I don't have a chance. I have a pair of jeans, a white T-shirt, a pair of white sneakers, white socks. Uh, I'm just a kid from Cleveland, right? Yeah, guy yeah. walks off. Uh, Rudy Valentino uh, his last name is Valentino I couldn't remember his first name he had leather jacket he had this perfect hair doing his thing he walks on he goes hi what's your name I go uh, I'm Neil Giraldi. he goes hey okay well hey have a good time you know he, he,
0: he, I thought this guy's got the gig yeah he, yeah, he, he thought well, that, that guy he thought he got the
1: gig I was scared yeah. to death I'm thinking holy shit so I walk in there and Rick's there and I go I'm a big fan I was like he's one of my heroes of all time yeah. so I, I shook his head Anyway, so I play. Rick goes, "Oh, I like the way you play a lot. I go, great. He goes, okay, well, um, I'll give you a call. I says, wait a minute. You have piano on the last record that you did. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to hear some piano. He goes, you can play piano. I says, yeah. He goes, prove it. So a piano came in and we said, Jerry Lee Lewis, we did some rock and roll stuff. Right. He, goes, you he goes, okay, so anything else you can do? I says, I can write some songs. He goes, what do you got? I goes, I said, I'll go back to Cleveland. I'll write so a couple songs. Said, I'll come back. You call me anytime, I'll come back. And I did. I came back. I was a top five out of over 200. And then I got the gig. But wow. the important thing was this that I was working during the day, helping my father as well. He's a carpenter, yeah. helping him out. I was doing gigs at night with the Lounge Band and coming home and learning Derringer songs in the middle of the night and hardly sleeping because right. you had to. And I did yeah. that every single day because I was determined to get that gig on my second trip up there I, I just had to get that gig and it changed my life completely
0: yeah and and you know what that's that's a great lesson for anybody it's like when you and, and when you got the gig that's what, it, what most people don't realize is when you when you work that hard you know pay all those dues finally get the, the life-changing gig of your uh, you know in your you know early 20s that's when the real work starts yeah absolutely you know because then you're like oh now i got to keep it and i got to do more
1: you know and, and you know the other thing that was funny too is that charlie parker moment too because we got the we did the first gig and i was awful i was so nervous and so freaked right. out i get down we go in the dressing room rick looks at me he goes what the hell are you doing out there i go i i'm sorry rick i i'm sorry i'm so just so nervous he goes i picked you because i thought you were the perfect person i said i can guarantee you this it'll never happen again the next right. night we played he looks at me he goes now i know why i got you and okay. I, you know, I'm like getting a symbol thrown at my head you know so the other thing that was cool too was johnny Winter, and and when rick joined that band mm-hmm. he was the same age i was when i joined rick's band right exactly the same
0: yeah and it's like that was always cool. You know, I always say one gig is like 10 rehearsals and it's totally trial by fire and the, you don't learn anything on the gigs that go well. You, no. You learn everything on the gigs that just just get off the rails and stay explode. off the rails. Explode. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, the gig went great. Oh yeah. It's exactly how we planned it. And now, you know, oh shit. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Here's here's one thing I I ask everyone that I've interviewed on this program that have had hit song after hit song. I'm mm-hmm. gonna list list some of the hits with with uh, your lovely wife Pat. Heartbreaker, I need a lover, hit me with your best shot, you better run, love is a battlefield, you know, et cetera, etc. cetera. Et cetera.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What song did you write and produce that you guys put on one of the records that you went? man that is a bonafide radio smash this thing is going to go straight to number one and conversely what song that you wrote that became a hit that you were like this thing doesn't have a chance
1: hmm okay the first one is a song called uh a song called brave Mm -hmm. and um it was on one of the later records and uh I, I thought for sure that song would be a hit. Now, the reason it wasn't is uh, the producer screwed up. That's me. I screwed that song up. <laughs> I should have never done it the, the way it was It was getting done. And the problem was I have these young daughters and they're listening to a certain style of music and it's affecting what's going on in the household. And I just right. went the wrong direction. Right. But now the beauty of this is that, um, Brave, because I'm doing this. This um, uh, we're doing a, a, a Broadway show. You know, we're hoping to get to Broadway soon, and it's oh, great. Uh, ad- yeah, it's an adaptation of uh, of Romeo and Juliet uh, reimagined uh, with our songs in it, different arrangements, treatments. I'm doing orchestrations, different. You know, just taking a totally different spin with it. But now we got the song Brave that Juliet sings in it. And it sounds like a smash. It's just right. phenomenal. So maybe I'll get a second life with it on this yeah, one. Yeah, you get a second chance, yeah. And the before I get to the other song, anytime time I learn this, anytime you say, I think that could be a hit, it's not going to be. You have okay. to absolutely know it, right? right. I'll give an example of uh, Love is a Battlefield. I knew from day one it was going to be a smash. I handed it into the record company they says we ain't gonna we're not gonna take this this is it's too fast what kind of what kind of style what are you thinking about it's like an r b song but it's still rocking and it's got this you have talking on it we have to take the talking off you got to you gotta right. take the whistling off it's too fast what's that drum beat what are you thinking i says what i'm thinking is that i'm not going to change it guys i'm not yeah and the my engineering and co-producer phenomenal engineer was going to tell me the next day that that he agreed with the record company that i have to change it and do something different with it so he drank a bottle of cognac while he's drinking the cognac he's listening to the song over and over and he goes son of a bitch i think yes. he's right so he
0: stood behind me and then we were able to get it done. it's an earworm but, you know that's the thing it's like you can't i was listening to it today. i'm like that it's just that hook and it's just i and you know whole- i've always found that the, the the worst advice that i've ever gotten in the music business has been by people that have business cards that say epic chrysalis warner uh rca you know the the list goes on i'm like i'm like and then most of the people who gave me said bad advice 25 years later they're not even in the, in the business they're like in real estate you're like of course you're like
1: what did you no, it's it's it's, you know, you know, like I said before, you're a great guy and you're a nice guy, and you listen to people when they have opinions, and I listen sure. to people when they have opinions. That's no, I don't always believe I'm right, but I can tell you what, if I truly believe in something so strongly, I can't change it. I just won't because I'll live and die by that decision. Right? That that's right. what you have to do. And the other thing is, you have to be disruptive in a positive source a sense. Yeah. Right? Like, I would finish a record the next day. I'd come in after I hand-delivered it. I'd go, okay, guys, check out what I think we should do next. And then they'd go, why can't you just do the same thing that you did last time? i go, yes. I can't. I love change. I, you know, I love I love the way things change. You know, that's why I love Led Zeppelin 3. Do you remember getting Led Zeppelin 2 and then hearing 3? It's a totally different record. I remember getting Led
0: Zeppelin 2 and going, where's the blues? Uh-huh, that's right. Because Zeppelin One to me was pretty much a blues record. You bet. It, with some twists, in it. and like Zeppelin Two was like, well, this is a lot more sophisticated, Correct. a lot less bluesy. Zeppelin Three was, yeah,
1: yeah, acoustic and different. And gra- I love Led Zeppelin Three. So I. I just love that that have change. I think change is is, is a beautiful thing to have. You know,
0: it's, explore. It's so you know it's so good. Who are your who are some of your producer mentors? I know like you worked a lot with Mike Chapman, Keith Olsen. You know, as producers, who did you look up to as a you know record producer when you were getting into production? Right, that I work with or, or outside or of, or just that? in general. Who are like okay. you know you know I okay. don't want to be like calmed out or like what you know like
1: I love right. what whoever i i think sam phillips is is got to be on the top you know because he was a guy that let mistakes go by and and things because it, it was such an essential the feel was so in essential, essential to the to the record and meanwhile right. there were such great tones rick hall another one phenomenal you know yes. muscle Shoals and all those how how was he able to wrangle that together? Uh, right. I, I just love, you know, you know. Certainly George Martin, you know, uh, the, you know. That's an easy one. But the funny thing is, is when I used to hear the Beatles, I uh, in the very beginning, not the very beginning, because it was so poppy. Then it got where it was, you know, right. sophisticated. Yeah. And of course Brian Wilson, you know. And then the more I learned about. Those folks, the, the more I, I love them even more. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, George Martin. Okay, these are all those, and there's so many others. But the for people that I've worked with, the person and I I I, I liked Mike uh, Chapman. Though I didn't spend a lot of time in the studio with him, I think we only did four songs, five songs, maybe at the most. Right. But uh, my co-producer, a phenomenal engineer, Peter Coleman. To me, was the greatest of all. Yeah, because he was he was the he was the the quiet great tones. You know, records great tones, and and didn't say anything because he didn't have to. You know, he just his spirit just there. It was just it was just easy to work together with him. Really easy and yeah, not, it, it, it. just an incredible engineer like he's in nashville now and that's all he's doing he's working what does he work with this one guy i can't remember he just engineers records and they're spectacular yeah. it, so, sound makes you play i sure mean does. If, you have a
0: good, if you have a good tone in the studio or live it's like okay now i can play today exactly. you know conversely if you have a bad bad tone it's like uh yeah you know, it's weird all right a little bit of geek talk before we yeah. we, we wrap up here yeah. um because you know this is what the show is called live from nerdville I'm happy to um, be here so we talked about your guitars strats mm-hmm. uh, the bernie rico stuff the yeah. uh, you know bc rich eagle you can hear that the marshall combos that you use i asked you about about them yeah. when when um when i when i met you i was like yeah. i'm like i heard you use those marshall those late 70s marshall commas with ev speakers now i'm one of the few weirdos that think Marshalls sound better with ev speakers and i still use evs with my marshalls and will be on this friday when we go back on tour right because i think they're they're warmer clearer and it takes all of the fizz how did you discover that because i i nicked that idea from you <laughs> so I'm just sort of putting it on the table i'm like i like that i'm <laughs> like i'm, I'm like
1: yeah, I'm glad. I remember you telling me about the EVs. I love that. Um, excuse me, they're they're very firm. They're a very firm yeah. speaker. That's yeah. I think the part. And that fizzle, I don't like that fizzly stuff. That breakup, yeah. but that's what some people rely on when they're playing because it helps their sustain. Obviously, right? Yeah. So here's what happened. I. I put the band together uh, with Patricia, you know, in the very beginning, I created this band. I got these players, I built my band, it was my band, I felt great about it, you know, Patricia and my, both of our band. So we go out and do the first gig and I got these two, three Marshall combos, the Fawn ones, they were the Fawn Marshall combos and they had uh, different speakers in it, the original speakers. So we're playing the gig, one goes, one amp blows up, next amp blows up, I finally finished the last song and that blows up. They all right, three, right. I blew them up. I blew all the speakers, blew the amps up. Right, so right. after that, I said, I talked to some of the geeks, my, you know, geek tech guys in New York and stuff, and they said, you know, you got to try, why don't you try EVs? And Paul Rivera was just doing uh speak uh amplifier repair. So he right. tweaked some of those combos and we put those EVs in from th- and they never, never gave me a problem again. And in and it was so miraculous that the tone was so firm. I, I swore to that day I would never use a different speaker. Yeah, it's I got a one different right here.
0: It's it, it really is a different amp. I mean, it makes him weigh like eight thousand pounds. My <laughs> pet hates it.
1: Well, let me tell you, Jim Marshall's his thing because I I had I had the three. I may have had another one. So I was doing the US festival. And yeah. it was you know, one of the largest gigs that we've ever played, right? So I'm doing a festival. So I'm saying, well, it would be really cool to have a just a wall of Marshall combos, you know? I've never done yes. the stacks. Let's have a wall. Yes. So I I call over to Marshall and, and Jim Marshall says he goes, you can have every one I have because they are a worthless piece of garbage. And <laughs> I says, yeah. I'll take them all. So I ended up yeah. with like I don't know like ten or eleven of Marshall combos. His his reason behind it was he goes. It was a stupid idea because no kid in the uk is going to be able to lift that amp and put it in a back, in a trunk of their car it's just Correct. too heavy and then when you have the ev speakers it's like yeah. seven times heavier so they're hundred waters the
0: ones that you use you bet hundred watt combos yes that's, sir. that's like the tweet twin yes sir that's exactly. exactly it's a big lot of power in a little in a little box and Correct. So to me I've never been a fan of four x twelve cabinets. I nope. like two twelves because right. I don't like all the body the bottom end just gets too
1: I'm competing with the kick drum. You are you know what? You hear and feel the same exact thing. That's exactly right. People don't a lot of people don't understand. They think it's more body and they need that body, but you're right. If you want articulation, that's you need the two twelve tight.
0: Tight and it you know, and it what it does is like, like yeah, anybody could put a rig together in a room by themselves going listen how like I got all the frequencies covered it's like whales can hear the top end and you know the the bottom end is registering on the Richter scale the minute a a drummer and a bass player and god forbid a ham and b3 player it eats everything up
1: you're done yeah you're done and besides I mean you you can't you can't hear I mean you can't feel it I mean uh, to me you know I use sometimes I have two 12 cabinets on stage and what they are first of all my tech is a is a is a huge four by 12. he loves it so much he, yeah. he puts them off because he likes them but I took the backs off them and I just okay. have I have them wired as two and two so yeah. if, if you know I'll use the bottom two or something but I don't I usually just the Marshall combos so that's what
0: I do I have a I have a four by 12 that's split in the middle vertically Two, two 12 cabinets. One's ported and one's not, so it it doesn't it doesn't do the the bottom end thing. That's exactly the same thing I got going on. That's yeah, exactly. and, it, and, it, and, it, and it and it with EVs and it weighs the the the, the greatest is to see the Iotsies if I hang out after the show, uh-huh. like my tech will be like I need two guys on this cabinet. Be like, There's always a brave one. They'll yeah, like, I put that, <laughs> and he goes to lift it, and he's like, nope,
1: and you can that's two hundred be- pounds, my friend. <laughs> You can't be brave with the with the martial combo with two twelves um, or the four twelve with it. The, yeah, no, the, you're,
0: you're gonna right. you're gonna feel it in the morning. Yeah. Neil, I can't thank you enough for doing this, man. It's like such such a great conversation. And, and oh, before we go, I I, I gotta I because uh, we're sponsored here by Grand Bruleau, a lovely cognac company. Um, I noticed you have ah three core. I, I was reading ah. about three cord
1: bourbon. Yes, sir. And. Uh, how did you, how'd you get started in the, the liquor business? Okay, I'll explain. This is kind of, a, it's an interesting too, thing as well. But hey, listen, it's an honor to be here and thanks for inviting me into your show. Oh, you're a great anytime. player, you're a great guy, you know, and people that know you're playing admire yeah. you for your playing, but they don't know about you as being a, the nice guy that you are. And that, you well, know- Thank they, you, thank Not that they think you're a prick, cause you're not, you're a nice guy. And there's this- That's people right. have, You know, there's a there's a there's a a rule that I use assumption plus judgment equals what percent. And most of the time, if you assume and you judge, you're right about a half a percent. Just the way it goes.
0: That's that's good words to live by because people judge me because I wear sunglasses on stage and they think I'm arrogant. And I said, you know why I wear sunglasses on stage is because I'm really light sensitive and I can't deal with the spotlight. They don't are you
1: sure you're not my son? It might be my son yeah, because I got right. terrible eyes and I, I, my eyes are so sensitive to the light. I wish I, I could wear sunglasses, but, you know, I can't see. My eyes are terrible. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: I mean, I have good sight, but it's like as soon as you, as soon as you, like, I have lights on me now just because I'm in a dark apartment. But yeah. as soon as the spotlights come in, which people don't realize, it's 240,000 watt Beams coming right at you. I'm like, I can't, I can't make heads or tails. And I start tearing up. That's why I wear the really dark sunglasses. The perception of it on 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 the internet is that I'm I'm arrogant. I'm like, no, I'm just trying to play my gig and not tear up up here.
1: Exactly. No, that's true. But that's that's funny because that's the assumption judgment thing. It, it makes no sense, right? So Correct. back to these guys. So I started this company May 16, 2016, and mm-hmm. what happened was. I uh, you know besides writing songs and you know these things I, I also write screenplays and I was working on a, right. a um a documentary a hybrid documentary featuring my musician buddies and other people from the Cleveland uh, scene Cleveland Akron Ohio Canton scene right and I wanted Great to gi- I wanted to give okay. them you know their 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 shot to tell their story and just to be just to to show that you know the, how hard they worked and and some of their lives didn't turn out as well as they liked. And some right. did, and they pivoted, right? So I'm working on this project. A, a friend of mine sees me post something that I'm about to get involved, get to start this, and he says, why don't we get a whiskey company to give us seed money? We can get a trailer made because it's an independent film. Yeah. So I says, why don't we start our own company? He left, and on that, on that day, Three Chord Burber was born. But the right. thing was, I, I tried to get a name, and every time I come up with a name, Check this name out, Legato. That sounds beautiful, right? Legato. Right. I call my I call my attorney, I says, uh, trademark guy, I says, how about Legato? He goes, taken, nope. sorry. Every name, gone. Yep, yep. So I w- I'm sleeping and he says to me, he tells me, the reason you don't have the right name is because the, right, uh, the, the right name didn't happen yet. So I woke up and I went, wait a minute, three chords in the truth, three chords bourbon. Now that sounds terrible. Three chord bourbon, that sounds great. So That's great. so since I pivoted from the screenplay, which I didn't finish, but I will finish and I will do the film, I wanted a music ambassadorship program. And I'm glad you asked this question because this is really special to me. This is a program that I had instilled in the company where it gives people a chance to, to join this ambassadorship program or three chord bourbon pays for their gig to be able to have a three chord stage. Oh, and also in the Blue Societies. We give money to the Blue Societies. We, we're constantly trying to get people involved. I think Kingfish is going to be a member of our music ambassadorship program. He's great,
0: man. He's great. He, he's set to be a superstar, that kid. Yeah. Yeah. Great remember. player. Oh, nice.
1: Great, great guy. Uh, David Miller's another one. Great guy out of uh, Buffalo. Tremendous player, great writer, uh, the heart of the blues. So we're we're putting a collection a team of people all across the country, and our give back program started day one. I wasn't gonna wait until, you right. know, a windfall. I wanted to do day one, and we're supporting musicians everywhere, and that's, that's that's critical.
0: It's so cool. I mean, we we did our uh, keeping the blues alive, fueling musicians thing last year, and as soon as, as soon as the pandemic hit, we're like we gave away two hundred and fifty or two hundred sixty. $1,500 packages, whether it be a gas card or something like that. We raise money yeah. and you got to do it because it's like you would be, you know, we started our foundation 12, 13 years ago. You would think it's a no brainer to, to, to raise money for kids for mu- music programs. No, no it no. actually is hard. It's People hard. Like, oh, OK, you yeah. know, it's like I don't want to, you know, I've already given to music cares or whatever. Sure. It's like, well, well, no, it's like it. it if you got an extra twenty bucks, you know it actually could change somebody's life because, you know, they go to school and they see a guitar there that doesn't have any strings. They're not going to play it. If they no, if they see the guitar and it's all strung up, they be like, "Hey, let me mess around."
1: Terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it to give the kids. It like you said, it saves lives. It, it makes a difference. You and I both. I know if we didn't have music. We'd be lost somewhere in the world, you know. I, I was yeah. sick every day of my life. I didn't have any, I had nowhere to go. I was nothing. I could have, nothing. I I couldn't focus. I was a mess, you know. And there's a million people yeah. out there that are out there.
0: Huh. Millions. I've never, I've been blessed enough. I never had a real job. I don't think I could hold one. I think I'd be fired after two days.
1: Because <laughs> of crazy. sunglasses. I think because you wore sunglasses, you'd probably get yeah, fired. I look,
0: I look weird being behind the counter in a suit hugo boss suit and sunglasses like (laughs) sir this is a target or this is a wendy's you know exactly (laughs) anyway well please give my best to your wonderful wife and i'm a huge fan of both of you guys and uh thanks again man it's like really it's a pleasure talking to you and a pleasure to call you my friend and and i i have yes as you know i have the utmost respect for everything you've done it's like it's like you're one of my favorite cats
1: ever so thank you john honored to have you and I feel the same way about you. And anytime you want to go have some real macaroni, let me know. We'll go eat some good food. I heard they're closing the rails in Hollywood. That's, that was my jam. That was it. It's going down. That's a shame it's got to close. i got to figure out a place here, too. i I got to, I got to look around. All my places are back east, but I, I will find something yeah. here. My favorite, though, my favorite all-time East
0: Coast Italian is next to the Count Basie Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey, Buenos Aires. We've all been there.
1: I know all about it. Yeah, we've great all been place. there.
0: It's like, it's like, it's like I don't care how good the catering is, the Italian cats and the
1: touring crew are all there. Yeah, it's a phenomenal place. Yeah, they even they even stay open late enough to, to give us food at, at the end of the gig because because I can't eat before it. I have to wait till the end, so they they stay open, which is great. Yeah,
0: I, I'm like I'm like I'm gonna do an eat and greet because a lot of times the restaurant's packed with fans. You're like, there's no way he's there. I'm like, you know it. <laughs> Bring it up spaghetti and meatballs that's it man <laughs> i love but it anyway we, right. we bash bashed yeah. baronis and praised buona sera i think that's two two some good italian talk right there well
1: yeah, we're trying to help we're trying to help baronis you know we just got to try to help them they here's the thing don't open the can of paste because that that all that stuff tastes like you open a can of uh what the Yes, the, the one with the the beautiful little girl prego right? no not priggle the other one uh shoot, it's right in the top of my head it's not but we know. yeah you know what it is it's yeah i know it's, yeah, yeah. so just too much paste you're opening you're eating too much paste no good
0: yeah it's too sweet it's artificially sweetened yeah it's mm, overcooked yeah. ladies and gentlemen neil gerardo thank sponsored you by grand burlo this has been live from nerdville thank you very much thank you neil
1: and thank you for watching until next time